The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining us on the line is Ellie Massell. He is the justice correspondent for the nation. I wanted to start off, Ellie, uh, by reading <laughs> from a letter <laughs> sent by uh, Congressman Matt Gates to the Honorable Brett Blanton, who is the 12th architect of the Capitol. I didn't know what that, I don't know who this person is or what this position is. I literally don't, I've never heard of this position, the architect of the Capitol, but this is actually, I guess, a position. Um, Dear Mr. Blanton, I write to inform you that the Speaker of the House office located in the U.S. Capitol building is currently occupied by Representative Kevin McCarthy. As of this morning, the 117th Congress adjourned since, um, I don't know the other part. Do you know the adjourned S-I-N-E-D-I-E. Is that like Latin? I don't know. And a speaker from the 118th Congress has not been elected. After three undeciding votes, no member can lay claim to this office. What is the basis in law, House rule, or precedent to allow someone who has placed second in three successive speaker elections to occupy the Speaker of the House office? How long will he remain there before he is considered a squatter? Please write back promptly. As it seems, Mr. McCarthy can no longer be considered speaker-designate following today's balloting. Sincerely, Matt Gates, member of Congress. That was a letter he wrote late yesterday after all of the circus we saw in three rounds of voting. Ellie, (laughs) I just wanted to read that because it just made me crack up this morning. But, I mean, just react a bit to what we saw yesterday. Um, And again, I, I didn't even know. Architect of the Capitol. Apparently, that's uh, a job. I didn't know. <laughs> <Good> morning, <laughs> happy, happy New Year. Um, yeah, so like you gotta, it's you know, Republicans are like jackals, but only of pettiness, right? And so usually it's the Democrats who have to bear the brunt of Republicans' hyena-like pettiness. But uh, today it is Kevin McCarthy, um, as the revolution truly eats its own, and that's really what we saw yesterday like you know all of the jokes aside and look i am here for as much humiliation as kevin mccarthy is able to take but all all jokes aside what what we're seeing in the republican party is a classic example of an insurgency eating its own people i mean we've seen this throughout history this is what happened during the french revolution i mean it is it is a small band of reactionaries that has taken over the republican party Um, And the Republicans have never uh, been able to deal with them. They've always tried to co-opt these people, right? The the Faustian deal of Republican politics for the last 20 to 30 years has always been, let's co-opt the white supremacists, uh, now we call them MAGA revolutionaries, because with their um, idiocy, 
and our numbers, we can rule the country. That's always been the McCarthy uh, uh, type, uh, the the Jeb the Jeb Bush type, the the Eric Cantor type bargain. And what we've seen consistently is that those people have been eaten by the white supremacist hard <laughs> yeah. right fringe. It happened to Cantor. It happened to Jeb. Yep. And now it's happening to Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important point that they basically exploit the fact that, you know, the big lie folks, I mean, they're, they're sort of like in the big lie bucket at this point. But in those are the people voting against Kevin McCarthy, by the way, the majority of them election deniers. But they sort of co-opted this MAGA wing um, and utilize them to gain power, as you said. And then now they're getting eaten. But one of the things that I'm confused about is why they're eating Kevin. OK, so one of the pieces of analysis that I keep saying in every article and every pundit is saying this, they're like, they're punishing Kevin McCarthy. Okay, that's the analysis. Mm -hmm. And then I go, for what? So what's the perceived, like, error that he has, what, what, what is he being punished for? Because from my vantage point, Ellie, he has gone along with the big lie, but for like three statements he said the day in the last, you know, the first two days after January 6, 2020, before he went and kissed the ring in Mar-a-Lago. Ever since he kissed the ring, he was on team big lie. So what is he being punished for? Well, see, I, I don't I, I, I think, you know, I think he's being punished legitimately from their from their crazy right wing perspective um, because they don't trust him and they don't trust him because he is not trustable. Because he has no principles. He has no values. He's willing to say or do anything to get power. We've we've all seen that, right? We've all seen Kevin McCarthy first uh, 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 tell the truth about what happened on January 6th and then completely debase himself in order to get this gavel as Speaker of the House. Democrats have seen it. The media has seen it and largely not reported on it. But Republicans have seen it, too. And see, this goes back to that Faustian bargain that these um, establishment Republicans like McCarthy, like Jeb, like Cantor um, always try to make. They, they exhibit the willingness to say or do anything to get in power, and they think that their own right flank doesn't see it. And they do. They understand the difference between a true crazy person, a true <laughs> believer, versus one who is just pretending to be crazy to get power. That's not, they're not as slick or sly as they think they are, right? And so at the end of the day, it's not just about the big lie and, and the election denial stuff. It is about nothing less than crashing the American government, right? Mm. Because the, the 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 real issue at the heart of all of this, once you get through the 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 the, the architect of the Congress and all of the petty, <laughs> right? The real issue at the heart of this is that Republicans want to crash the economy, right? They want to refuse to raise the debt ceiling, causing America to default on its loans on the global stage. Um, forcing in an austerity financial plan um, that will spin us into um, a recession and potentially a depression. They think that this is good because they think that Biden will somehow get blamed for this in 2024 after they crash their economy, but that's what they want to do. And they understand that most Republicans don't want to do that, mm. right? Because it's stupid. 
And so when they see Kevin McCarthy kind of promise out of one side of his mouth to, to crash the economy, they understand he's only saying that to gain power in the moment. They don't trust him to crash the economy and, and trigger a recession or depression when the chips are down because past Republican leaders have played this brinksmanship game, but eventually backed off the cliff. And they want somebody who's going to run headlong over the cliff like Wile E. Coyote, thinking that all they have to do is not look down. So that that's the really uh, uh, that's the core of their issue, and they don't trust McCarthy to send it all to take it all the way home. And they're right not to trust him. Nobody should trust him. He's untrustworthy. That's what you are when you have no principles. You are an untrustworthy person. Nobody knows what McCarthy is going to say tomorrow because McCarthy is going to say tomorrow whatever helps him the best tomorrow. Not their their crazy white-wing ideology. Thank you, Ellie. That was actually a very helpful explanation as to what they're mad about because I, I was at a loss. I was like, I don't understand what they're mad about because from my vantage point, he has gone along with every every crazy thing that they want. Um, but to your point, without principles, he doesn't have principles. And then I agree with, there's evidence of that. There's lots of evidence of that, um, even before January 6th, frankly. Um, yeah. I, I mean, talk- the big lie people, oh, yeah. they believe in something. They believe yeah. in something horrible, but they believe in <laughs> right. something. <laughs> uh, valid, valid. Okay, so let's actually talk about January 6th because it's the first time I'm having you on since the report actually came out. And we talked a little bit about the report um, with Amanda Carpenter yesterday, and we talked about the summary with Barbara McQuaid. But now that I have you, and we have the full 845 page report, which I haven't read because I haven't finished the Audible. Okay, I'm listening to the audiobook. I am not reading 845 pages, y'all. I don't not have time like that. I, my life is different now. Okay, I do work with intention. I, I'm not in cable news anymore. I'm protecting my peace, and so I read or listen. Um, when I have the time and it's going to be, it's going to be a while before I get through all of the appendices. Okay. But Ellie, from what you have, uh, read in the report, I'm not even, you know, if, if you've read all of it, like amazing, I like, I don't, how, let me know, give me your, give me your tips. But even if you haven't just what stood out to you in terms of what the average voter should care about? Yeah, well, first of all, Zelina, um, um, congratulations on getting your freedom papers. I don't think I've talked to you. <laughs> good, good on you. Um, <clears throat> Listen, I'm not going to make the joke that came to my right. brain just then. We're, we're, we're there. We're there. <laughs> I, I got gotcha. you. Um, I have also not read the full report because I like to spend my holidays with my family mm-hmm. and not with uh, terrorists and insurrections. Valid. But, the, but from the reports of the people who have re- read the report, right? Um, the, the, the thing that always gets me about January 6th is how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How planned it was from the outside, right? And so what we didn't see, what we didn't see, what they didn't have is that real hard, good evidence that there was that inside job help. Like, you know, when this started, I thought there was a, 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 a significant possibility that if they did a thorough investigation, they would find like the tape or the phone call mm-hmm. from Paul Gosar saying, you know, this is where Nancy Pelosi hides out and this is where you can find AOC and that and, that. and they didn't have that, right? So given that they didn't have that, what we do see is real intense planning 
um, in terms of the, the the agitators, the Proud Boys, and those kinds of people. Uh, um, uh, that that was a coordinated attack in every way, right? So that's that's the number one thing. The number two thing that that, that jumps out, and, and it has like pretty much to me for the last six to eight months, is just how far the Republican Congress has gone to obstruct their investigation, right? For all the people who did show up and give testimony and whatever, you note that it's not people like Paul Gosar. It's not people like Kevin McCarthy. It's not people who have thrown their hat in with the terrorists and insurrectionists. Um, they did not cooperate with the investigation. And I think that as, as long as the public remembers, it's, it's not even about who's at fault. I mean, it, it should be, but that's more of a DOJ problem, which I'm sure we can talk about in a bit. But from a political standpoint, if the public just remembers who tried to get at the truth, who wanted to hold people accountable, and who didn't, right? Mm -hmm. who, who obstructed, who refused to look at the facts as they were on the ground. That should really be enough to make any kind of a, a, a general political decision about who you want to vote for um, and who's gonna defend American democracy. Because what you see from the report is continuous obstruction from a band of Republican politicians who were unwilling to help us, to help this country figure out who and why, who attacked us and why. Mm. No, it, it's a really, really important point. I think that's a, it's a, that's something people can wrap their minds around. Like, what if you go up to the average person in the Kroger and you ask them, you know, what, you know, what do they think happened on January sixth? I think what you're saying, this idea that there was an attack on the Capitol. Objectively speaking, people died. Right? There was a violent attack on the Capitol. Whether or not you agreed with the people who violently attacked the Capitol or not, I think you can objectively say there was an attack on the Capitol. I mean, they're, they're calling it other words, right? But there was, there was violence. It wasn't a peaceful, whatever they, you know, like political gathering or whatever they, they wanted to reframe it as because people got hurt. People died. Um, and we don't want that to happen again. I mean, I, I, th I feel like most Americans, the average American would say that that's a bad thing. We do not want to happen again. And you're right to say, I think they can wrap their minds around the idea that one party and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger wanted to find out how to prevent that from ever happening again. What happened and how to prevent it from ever happening again. And there are people that don't want to engage in that conversation. And we, we should we be asking, though, like, why? Because they're still like when they get sworn in, a lot of these folks are going to be in there in the Congress that was attacked. And we saw in some of the messages that were released that they were a larger part of that potential conspiracy if it's ever charged than we thought so what do we do that down, they took down the metal detectors at congress yesterday <laughs> and when they finally get around to electing a house speaker it will probably one of the promises will probably have to be that they can bring guns into congress that's how crazy these people are and that's how that's how much violence they are willing to continence because mm. it's just like Donald. Remember, uh, what one of the things that came out during January sixth investigation was Donald Trump telling the Secret Service they're not here to hurt me, right? Understanding that they might be there to hurt somebody, right? But they're not here to hurt me. That's also how uh, Marjorie three names thinks, right? 
<laughs> that's also how uh, Lauren Bobbert thinks. That's also how uh, Mo Brooks thinks. That they're not here to hurt me. And they don't care who they are here to hurt, right? So they're creating... I'll never forget, I was I was interviewing uh, Corey Bush uh, sometime, like, halfway through, like, this summer. And I asked her kind of a throwaway, just warm-up interview question. You know, so, you know, do you feel safe at work six months later? <laughs> yeah. And she was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. She, she, she no hesitation. Absolutely not. There, there are people, there are elected representatives who go to work in an unsafe environment because of their colleagues. And I just, I can't, I don't know why that doesn't matter to more people, right? Like I can't, it is it, because we, we all know who that mob wants to kill. Right. Wants to assault, wants to harm, right? And they're right. It's not Marjorie three names, but it, but, but it is, it is people like Cory Bush. It is people like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It is people like Ayanna Presley. It is people like Nancy. They want to go and hurt them. And the Republican response to that is take down the metal detectors. I mean, I, I want to throw in the Paul Pelosi attack into this conversation as well, because that's something that, I mean, one of the things that was reported yesterday, he was, he was actually in the House chamber yesterday as Nancy Pelosi, you know, cast her vote for Hakeem Jeffries. He was there um, in the building. And thankfully is on the mend and but but i think that the fact that the point you're making that the the threat is real um is one that we we can't just like skip over like i I don't even know why we don't talk about that attack on paul pelosi more when we talk about these things because it's all connected i mean i in a lot of ways i would call that attack as something that is connected to what happened on january the 6th I mean, the attacks on Nancy Pelosi predated that and the smears against her predated that, of course. But the narrative was built and the manifestations happened on January 6th, but also with the attack on Paul Pelosi. You know, one one of the things that always gets me from from these people is that these people, these white wing extremists, they always want to play a whataboutism game um, with um, black urban city violence right whenever you talk about the culture of violence on the right that is uh uh, uh inflamed by white-wing media and uh, white politicians white republican politicians they always want to throw back um urban violence uh uh in, in major cities um back at you and i always respond to that first of all i tell them to go you know jump in the lake but if i'm going to respond to that at all it's always like yeah and when there is violence in black communities we try to find the people who do the violence and hold them <laughs> accountable and bring them to justice when there is white violence y'all try to act like it doesn't happen and it doesn't matter and you make excuses for it that's the difference right so while so so when we're talking about the, the culture of violence on the right we're also talking about a culture of permissiveness that you don't see in other places and you don't see in other communities a culture of not just uh, 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 allowing the the violence but actively encouraging it and then looking the other way when it happens which is what you don't see in other other communities so yeah i don't i i, I know why we don't talk about it more we don't talk about it more because the white wing media is invested in giving these violent people a pass because they're part because because the violence is 
part of the plan. And that's that's the final point, right? So they're like, the people always want to act like this eruption, this current eruption of white wing violence is new. And mm. as an African-American, I can tell yeah. you, it ain't new. Yeah. This is, this is what y'all do. Whenever the white supremacist establishment is threatened in this country with the loss of political power, their go-to response is violence. Mm-hmm. And it has always been the case, that has always been the fact that the case in American history. No, it's so true. So, it's, 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 I, mean, I, I mean, sometimes I wrote a book before the pandemic, Ellie, and the whole chapter is the white resistance. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like I named it. Um, not the first person to point this out. I am like the seven thousandth millionth person. Um, but because they were black, maybe you didn't read it. And I feel like it it's it's a point that we can't skip over. The violence is not by accident. It is actually part of it is part of the plan. Um I also wanted to talk to you today before in the last five minutes here before we have to break, about the Trump legal fights because I feel like there's a lot going on in this realm right you have Fannie Willis is doing her thing down in Georgia um I even read last week or the week before that Mimi Roca's got some property records she's going through up in Westchester um you have the special counsel that was appointed by Merrick Garland to to look into the two different cases the documents and also the January 6th fake electors I think is the the specific part of that um that he's looking into but as you assess the 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 cases, like what charges could would be charged if we were talking about anybody else with the same sets of facts? <laughs> like, oh yeah, I mean, which, look, what, any... what, what crimes are we? I mean, there's a lot of cases, but I feel like you know we should just start listing crimes because that's where I'm at at this point. No, any any other person would be in jail already um, uh, and awaiting trial, right? For <laughs> obstruction of Congress, for um, conspiracy to defraud an election, for um, various financial fraud and tax evasion in the states for conspiracy to defraud an election in the state of Georgia, like anybody else would be indicted by this point. But Trump is not anybody else. He is the white wing king. And so that is why he remains free. The thing about the the the, the federal legal fight that I, I've been pointing out pretty much since the holidays uh, got going is that we we are just we are just about out of time mm-hmm. on this idea of capturing and, and and trying Donald Trump because Zerlina, as you know with your political experience you you know this better than I New Hampshire is thirteen months away. <laughs> well, however, they, well, however they set up the order this year. <laughs> This time. Oh, yeah, that's right. It could, it could be it Iowa. A little bit of, yeah, I think it might be South Carolina, but we'll see how it is. But you're right. <laughs> this is like election. The Repu- I think the Republicans started. are still going to start. The with Republicans. Hampshire, right? Yeah, you're right. You're fi- you're right. Yes. Right. So you're so correct. so we 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 are we we are just about time for for the presidential primary. So let's assume, for the sake of the argument, that they're not going to try Donald Trump when he is the leading Republican vote getter in the primary process. I mean, that we could, but let's just assume that with the kind of people that we have running the Justice Department, mm-hmm. they don't have the stones to actually try the person who is the presumptive Republican nominee and start working backwards, okay? So if, if, if February 2024, if March 2024 is your kind of drop dead date and we're in January 2023, how much time does it take to go from where we are 
to an indictment, to a trial, to a conviction, to a sentencing, if you've got to get it all done basically before the New Hampshire primaries start. And I'm, uh, I, and we're just about out of time to do that, right? In, in a super, you know, we're going as fast as possible. Let's say that Trump is indicted somewhere federally by March of this year. Okay, what's the quickest you can go from March indictment to an actual trial? If you're going at hyperspeed, hyperspeed, you're talking about eight months, right? Like, I, I just don't see how you put that trial together in less than, than, than six to eight months, right? So now we're pushing, now we're pushing Halloween. Now we're pushing Thanksgiving. Now we're pushing the holidays. Okay, we're going to have a trial of an American, of a former American president for Christmas next year. Okay, I mean, that's going as fast as possible. Trial takes two weeks. The jury, let's say, because it's obvious, takes, you know, two days to deliberate, right? So now we're going to convict a sitting American president by next new year, okay? And now, now we go to the sentencing phase at hyper speed. We sentence him in a month. And so we're talking, if we, if we, if you start the clock now, we're talking about a conviction and sentencing just before the start of the New Hampshire primaries. And that is the most aggressive timeline that I can imagine. That, that is assuming that all of the appeals that Trump will throw up to delay and obfuscate his trial are not only uh, uh, resolved in the government's favor, but resolved quickly in the government's favor. So for some reason, the Supreme Court, it gets on the ball and is knocking down these subpoenas <laughs> like super fast. You see what I'm saying? I do I just, see what you're saying. <laughs> and I, I'm I laughing because see I see what you're saying. Where the timeline is at this point to actually get through a trial before the primaries. And I don't see the fire in the belly from Merrick Garland to actually continue pursuing Trump while he is actively in the process uh, of running in Republican primaries. So I think we're just about out of time. Hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, Wait, I remember I said so, if we indict in March, maybe we can indict next week. I don't know. Like, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. But like the timeline is getting real, real tight now. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question as somebody who's not been to law school, but I'm just going to act like I'm a regular person who watches Law & Order. Now, <laughs> say I'm engaged in a criminal conspiracy to traffic drugs or something, right? Yes. And then I'd say, I'm going to run for president. Are they going to stop investigating my criminal conspiracy because I have announced my candidacy? So is this now the, you know, get out of jail or investigation card for anybody who is like doing crimes? I would love to see season six of The Wire, Avon Markdale <laughs> runs for president and see what happens. But... <clears throat> But based on legit, talking just about drug crafting, just based on what the government has done. I'm just saying. Basically, what you're saying is like there could be lots of evidence of your criminality, but the Justice Department will not do anything about it if you're running for president. If we just look at what the Justice Department has done to actual black politicians who have been accused of crime while running for office, not president, but let's say, you know, mayor of Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., what we see is that the Justice Department does not care what position you're running for if they have evidence of crime against you, at least if you're black. Now, mm. Donald Trump doesn't happen to be black, so... That that might explain. I'm not saying that it does explain. I'm saying it might explain some of the different treatment that we've seen. I mean, sometimes, Ellie, you got to do the process of elimination. 
<laughs> you know, racism isn't always the answer. Sometimes there's another reason. However, when you go through that process of, of elimination, you're knocking down all these other explanations. I mean, you end up with that being a part of the reason. I don't know yes. what the answer is. I don't know what they're thinking at the Department of Justice. But this is why I asked the question. Could I be a drug trafficker, hypothetically, and be like, well, I'm going to announce my run for can- my candidacy for president of the United States, you know, throw up a banner and have a rally, you know, get a yard sign. And now I'm immune, like, from prosecution because I'm a candidate. I, I just feel like, I don't know, there's a hitch in the giddy up yep. with that it's setup. Just, I feel like there's, that's going to fail us as a democracy if that is the, the precedent that we're setting with the current examples. Yeah, look, it's just not, it's not something I've seen in the black community. I, I just, I, I've seen lots of black politicians prosecuted for crime while they are running for office or while they are in office. It's only with this uh, um, white politician that I'm seeing this new argument of like, oh, once he's, well, once he's actually running, there's nothing the law can do. I mean, think about all the time Trump has spent in the last uh, seven years more times uh, claim, uh, having prosecutors claim that he can't be prosecuted than he can, right? He spent, oh, we can't, he's the president, we can't, because the OLC memo says, I mean, <laughs> all right, that, that was it. And then he's out of, oh, we can't, because he was running, he's a candidate for, like, so, like, basically the only time, according to Merrick Garland, that you can prosecute Trump is, like, on the third full moon of the cycle <laughs> when Mercury is in retrograde and Jupiter is in the house of Mars. <laughs> it's, like, five days where you can prosecute Trump. No, I mean, it's a joke, but it's actually just feels like I'm laughing because I can't cry. I'm not going to cry. Um, so I got to laugh through it. Um, it's helpful to have you um, because you're very funny, Ellie. Ellie Mistel, justice correspondent from The Nation. I have a million more questions, but we're going to take a very quick break. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And it was great to have you on, as always. Um, Actually, Happy on. New before, Year. Before we go to the break, I'm going to tell everybody what your book is because that is actually the most important situation. So the book is Allow Me to Retort, A Black Man's Guide to the Constitution, a bestseller which you should all purchase. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday. 